Salute. Slancha. Cheers. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and events with your guide, master of mixology, and Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. So sit back and get ready to stir it up. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on 570 KVI. It's Happy Hour at last. Welcome, everybody, to Happy Hour Radio on 570 KVI. I am your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier and director of wine and spirits for all things good and cool. Your weekend wine guy, master mixologist, and cocktail commodore. Uh, Thanks for joining us. You and your friends can join us for Happy Hour right here on KVI, Saturdays at 11 a.m. to noon. So tell your friends. If you want to come and play on the show, hey, send me a question. Email it to me, please. Ask at happyhourradio.net. Or if you want to see our great guests in the lineup and also access some of the previous shows, check out happyhourradio.net. It's real easy. And I hope you will. Looking for some questions. And as always, uh, questions for some of my great guests. I'm very fortunate to have a fantastic lineup today. Before I introduce that, I want to talk about some cool events. Um, if you ever head into Walla Walla, it's a place so nice, they named it twice. Walla Walla Wine Alliance is hosting um, a great event. It is the 30th anniversary. It's their 30th birthday in Walla Walla. Uh, they've got this great uh, event where we have a presentation, video, introductions. Um, Andy Perdue, a great writer for Northwest Wine, will introduce Gary Figgins of Leonetti Cellar, Rick Small of Woodward Canyon, Marty Club of Lake Hole Number 41, Eric Rindle of Waterbrook, Casey McClellan of Seven Hills Winery, and Norm McKibben of Pepper Bridge Winery. Come celebrate with Walla Walla Wine Alliance at Walla Walla, March 20th. Uh, tickets available at wallawallawine.com. Also coming up is the spring release in May, so uh, put that on your calendar. Walla Walla is a great place. Uh, also coming up, hey, tomorrow, we've got Meet Your Maker, which is a distillery event for Washington craft distillers at the Rainier Brewery. Check it out at uh, seattleuncorked.com. Today's guests, amazing. I'm so fortunate to have uh, such good company today here at Happy Hour. Uh, We have Roy Hirsch, who is the founder and writer for For the Love of Port. If you like uh, some sweet wine from Portugal, check this out, fortheloveofport.com. I also have Charles and Roseanne Finkel from Pike Brewery. Uh, Charles is an artist, author, master brewer, and the man behind the incredible woman, Roseanne. Um, Right now, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Mr. Paul Beveridge of Willridge Winery. He's an attorney, a vintner, a vigneron, a spokesman, director, and uh, has a couple tasting rooms. Paul, welcome to Happy Hour. It's great to be here, Chris. I'm so excited. So uh, you're an attorney, eh? Uh, recovering attorney. <laughs> yeah, officially retired about eight years ago when we planted our vineyard. And uh, I learned that you went to Whitman College? I'm a witty. And my wife a, and I, yes. And Walla Walla. So fun. So uh, when did you uh, get the wine bug? You know, it goes back to a job my father had. I was born in California, and uh, my father worked at the Napa Valley Mental Hospital. No way. And so when I was six, seven, eight years old, they would go wine tasting on the weekends, and I got to run around in these cool caves, and I just thought it was great. It is great. I was just down in Napa a couple weeks ago. Love that place. Oh, yeah. It's just, you don't think a kid would have fun, but some of them serve grape juice and crackers, and I got to crawl around in caves. What could be cooler than that? I would love to get a Napa 
Valley Mental Hospital T-shirt, <laughs> <laughs> or I escaped, something like that. And so uh, you tasted wine in Napa Valley. Is that uh, how old were you when you left Napa Valley? Well, I was ten when we moved up to Moscow, Idaho. Okay. So, and my dad was one of the few people in in the area that knew much about wine. And these WSU professors were starting to make wine from the experiment station in Prosser. That's right. So bottles would make it to our house, and my dad was amazed with the quality. Yeah. So, Dr. Got, Stan Clark. Oh yeah, out there. And did he make wine? Did he start making wine there, or was he just drinking? Oh, there were a bunch of them that were were making wine for home use then, uh, working working with Walt Clore. Like that for yeah. home usage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Experimentation only. And uh, so, what was the epiphany wine for you that said, "Hey, this is where I need to go in my life." I I have to admit again, it was a California wine, um, but I uh, I was working as an environmental attorney at the Bodega Bay Marine Laboratory in California, and so I'd go on the weekends up into the Russian River Valley, and it was a Hopkins Primitivo Zinfandel. Oh yeah, Hopkins. I had never smelled so many different flavors out of a glass of wine, and it, the wine could be that complex. You know, cinnamon, black pepper. Pencil shavings, you know, the whole thing. And so I was like, wow, you know, maybe there really is something to this wine. I like the fact that it was actually red zin instead of white zin. <laughs> <laughs> Shows you're a cultured gentleman. Well, when we get to the port segment, you'll find out I do have a sweet tooth, too. Uh, me, too. <laughs> me, too. And so you started Will Ridge Winery when? Uh, 1988. Uh, my wife and I, uh, she's Will, I'm Ridge. We uh, started in here in Seattle. Uh, so we're celebrating. It'll be 26 years this year. Uh, and that's the marriage of your last names, correct? Yeah. So Paul Beveridge, Beveridge is my last name, Lyle Wilhelmy, my wife, Will Ridge. Yeah, very cool. Uh, a beverage, uh, you, you had to be in the beverage industry with a name like that. You'd think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> so in 1988, was that your first vintage, or did you actually release something later? It was our first vintage, okay. 88. So then we had our own little restaurant over in Madrona neighborhood of Seattle, Madrona Bistro, and that's where the winery is still located. Yeah, cool spot. That's a nice little neighborhood there, and I know that you're one of the social centers, the epicenter of wine and socializing. Madrona is a, a great, great place to spend an evening. When we when we started there, we were the only business open after five o'clock. Now there are eight restaurants within a block of my winery. Yeah, it's happening. And so, Wilbridge Winery, what was your first release? Our first release was a Cabernet Sauvignon from Crawford Vineyard. In Crawford Vineyards in Yakima. Yakima Valley, yeah, yep, and they're still going at it strong. Uh, we're still making wines from that vineyard. Really, so 1988 to 2008 is 20 years. So 25th anniversary, 20, 26. This this will be our 26th harvest. We just celebrated our 25th year. Oh wow, yeah, that's yeah. a lot of wine. It is. We should do a retrospective. 25 wines. It's a good thing I started when I was seven. <laughs> <laughs> and you look good. We're speaking with Paul Beveridge of Willridge Winery here on Happy Hour Radio, chatting about uh, Willridge. And his uh, cool wines. Uh, the label. What is the story behind the label? That's Pan. It's yeah. It, it, it's a fawn or a satyr. Somebody who would work for Bacchus. So when Bacchus is partying with the ladies, this guy's doing the work out in the vineyard. And if you, if you're a C.S. Lewis fan, it's Tumnus the fawn. Oh yes, and I read those the uh, the Narnia Chronicles. I... Yeah. So a local, all all our labels are by local artists, and the local artist said this captured our our character. It's distinctive. I like it. And you've been around for 26 vintages now, huh? That's well, right. <laughs> summer pending. Yeah, I'm hoping to have a few more. And I understand that you, Wilbridge Winery, Paul Beveridge, was the first to actually label a wine with a single vineyard. That's what they tell me. Uh, we started working with Clipson Vineyard on uh, Red Mountain in 1990. 
And that was the first release, 1990? From, yeah, the 1990 Eclipse was our first work with them. I like it. And are you still producing? Um, was, that, was that a Merlot? Um, we did a Merlot and a Cab, I believe, that year. Okay. I'd have to go look. Uh-huh. And now you've got, uh, well, shoot, you are the spokesperson for a brand new American viticultural area called? Natchez Heights, yes. Please come see us. Uh, <laughs> we're one of the closest uh, Appalachians to Seattle. We're actually west of Yakima, up uh, up towards Mount Rainier, off Highway 12. And if you've never been to Natchez Heights, it's a gorgeous place. We have 360-degree views. We're on a nature preserve. You can go hiking, mountain biking. If you arrive by bicycle, foot, or horse, we give you free shipping on your order. <laughs> and you'd be amazed. We probably have about 20 horses a week coming really? through. Oh, yeah. Oh, and that's the, fun. the mountain biking is fantastic. We think it's the first recreational uh, winery and vineyard in, in Washington. We really go for the outdoor recreation part of it. Very cool. We are chatting with Paul Beveridge of Will Ridge Winery on Happy Hour Radio. And um, coming up in our show, we also have Roy Hirsch for the love of port and um, two amazing individuals here, Charles and Roseanne Finkel of Pike Brewing um, here on Happy Hour Radio. So we'll have some beers, some port, and we're going to come right back after this break to chat more with Paul and Willridge Winery. If you want to check him out, it's willridgewinery.com. If you want to check us out, it's happyhourradio.net. See you in a second. Looking for fresh marketing ideas? Find them with Christopher Chan and Happy Hour Radio. Just click happyhourradio.net and connect with him today. That's happyhourradio.net. And stay tuned for Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan, right here on 570 KBI. Getting your child home safely. Tap your heels together three times. Is just a click away. There's no place like home. But making sure your child is in the right seat is just one of the steps down the road to safer travels. I don't know how it works. Find the right seat for your little one's age and size. There's no better way to get home safely. Know for sure that your child is in the right seat. How can I ever thank you enough? Get all the facts at safercar.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Time for another round. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Seattle's most spirited hour of talk with Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. Hey, and welcome back to Happy Hour. I am your host, Christopher Chan, and I must say I am honored. I am privileged to welcome the Walla Walla Valley Wine Association, the Wine Alliance, to my show as the first sponsor. In the upcoming weeks, we'll hear from Dwayne Walmuth and Heather about the Wine Valley Cool events happening in Walla Walla, and um, I'm sure we're going to have a couple tastings or two. So uh, welcome to Happy Hour, the Walla Walla Valley Wine Alliance. I'm excited about Walla Walla, and I'm also excited to dive into a wine from Paul Beveridge's Will Ridge Winery. If you want to check out his wines, you can buy them online at willridgewinery.com. And Paul, you've poured a Zweigelt, which I'm sure not many of our listeners know about. Tell us about it. It's uh, one of the most cold-hardy European vinifera vines around, and so it does well in our cold winters up here in Washington. It's the most planted red in Austria. Uh, lovely wine. Uh, we've been very impressed with it. Uh, funny story is we planted it at our vineyard by accident. It was uh, supposed to be Pinot Blanc. And, of course, you don't get your crop, your first crop on a vineyard till the third year. And we're out in the vineyard, and my buddy says, Hey, Paul, 
why is the Pinot Blanc purple? <laughs> <laughs> Took about a year to figure out what it was. The, nur- the nursery had gone to a Pinot Blanc vineyard to grab cuttings in the winter, and they grabbed, uh, there were five acres of Pinot Blanc and half an acre of Zweigelt, and they got the cuttings from the half acre of Zweigelt. Zweigelt. Zweigelt needs one of those really cool names, like... Blau Frankish. Well, it's Doctor. It's Doctor Zweigel. Why wasn't he Doctor Chardonnay or something? You know, <laughs> but his original name was even worse. So, so Zweigel is a red grape. Yeah. What, wait, what was his original name? I can't remember the original, but Doctor Zweigel named it an even worse name, and so when he died, they changed it to him to oh, honor him. At least think we can pronounce it. It's Z W E I G E L T Zweigel, which is a cross of uh, Blau Frankish and Saint Laurent from Austria, um, and this is a really tasty red wine. It's very fruity. Yes, and you notice nice, nice, bright acidity from our cool nights here in Washington. Yeah, and uh, this is a great um, spring-summer wine because it goes with a variety of foods. The tannin is uh, uh, very moderate, very low, and the acidity is moderate plus and um, juicy. Yeah, yeah, and not too heavy with the tannins. Um, we have seen some vintage differentiation with it. Um, this is, I'd say, about a middle road in terms of body. We've yeah. got... We've, it's been more intense in some years, too. And this is 2012, and this is available on your site? On our site at our tasting rooms, yes. Very cool. Um, it's delicious wine. I'm glad you brought it. And I see that you brought a Nebbiolo, and this is, says an estate Nebbiolo. Tell us about that. Yeah, we also at our estate vineyard on Natchez Heights, we uh, grow a number of Italian varieties, and Nebbiolo is the one we've been doing the longest since uh, 1995. And it's uh, you know the fabulous grape of the Barolo and Barbaresco regions of Italy. A great pedigree. And we seem to be able to do really well with it in Washington, and they haven't figured it out in California yet. So I think it's kind of our answer to Oregon Pinot Noir and something that we, another grape that we can do better than just about anybody else. Well, I'm excited to taste that. And it's, it's interesting you say you talk about California in terms of Nebbiolo because uh, Nebbia is uh, this Italian word for fog. And so in the Piedmont region, there's lots of fog to help keep uh, the... Uh, respiration of the grapes going with the, the nice cool nights and diurnal shift. But there's lots of fog in, in uh, Russian River. That's right. I it, mean, that's foggy from, you know, midnight to, to 11 a.m. like clockwork. Yeah, I, I'm not sure the fog is that important. Um, and at a Nebbiolo conference I was lucky enough to attend in Italy, uh, a historian was there and said Nebbiolo actually means noble. Oh. N- nobile in, in Italian. That it makes was the, sense. the wine of the kings. It was reserved for the king. The peasants got the Barbera and the Dolcetto. <laughs> <laughs> the little one, the sweet one. Uh, we are talking here with um, my friend Paul Beveridge of Wilbridge Winery. And um, uh, looking forward to also chatting with Charles and Roseanne Finkel of Pike Brewery and Roy Hirsch for the love of port. Tell us what to expect, uh, Paul, in that Nebbiolo. I mean, is it really an Italian style? Are you fermenting it in uh, seasoned oak in the uh, boti? We're, we're using old neutral barrels with this, so you're not going to get that vanilla oak character from it. So we're doing it the traditional way they do in Piemonte. I like to tell people, I tell, tell people, think Pinot Noir on steroids. It's Pinot, Pinot Noir with a little more punch, a little more tannin. Performance-enhancing yeah, skin yeah. tannins. And so it's a great food wine for the same reason Pinot is. You can do everything from grilled salmon to a steak with a, with a Nebbiolo. And so the Legion of Boom can drink this without any concern, right? You got it. You got it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, on Happy Hour Radio, we'd like to, to imbibe a little bit, and I'm enjoying this estate, Zweigelt, um, with Paul Brevage. Um, Paul, what else can you tell me? So Notches Heights, that was just founded recently, like two years ago? Yeah, we're, we've been, I think it's been maybe about yeah, about two years since we got our official AVA. It was about a five-year process that we went through to show that we were distinct from other regions. 
And so we're, many things make us unique up there. We're on an old lava flow from Mount Rainier, uh, actually from the Goat Rocks, on Andesite. We're the largest flow of Andesite lava in the world. And the lava flowed down the Tiatin and Natchez rivers and stopped right before Yakima. So when you come see us, the first thing you do is climb up some 300-foot uh, cliffs to get up on Natchez Heights. Spectacular views. The soil is all windblown, a million years of Mount St. Helens. It's called Luss. Mm. Growing up in the Palouse, you're, uh, you're indoctrinated with the idea that Luss is the best soil on earth, and we think it is. And the wines are uh, really showing some unique terroir. We love it. We're also, since the very beginning, have been 100% organic and biodynamic. Uh, I see that on the label. That's really cool. So you've got some, uh, is it sheep's horns? Cow horns. Cow horns. Yeah, we bury cow horns every year. We make the uh, concoctions. We plant by the phases of the moon, and you can't argue with the results. I love it. I love it. So that fits in with the whole satire, uh, fawn, and uh, tumness uh, icon on your label? That's right. That's right. This this wine is good for your chi. It's good for your <laughs> your soul. Oh, <laughs> love it. Um, well, thanks, Paul Beveridge uh, from Wilbridge Winery. If you'd like to go dance under the moon and... Uh, like a fawn and a satyr, head over to uh, Notches Heights and uh, check that out. Directions and wines are available on at willridgewinery.com. Paul, thanks for being here, and happy hour. It's been my pleasure. Awesome. Hey, coming up now, um, it's my pleasure to introduce two icons of Seattle, in my opinion. If you like craft beer, if uh, you have uh, someone to thank, and that gentleman and the woman behind that gentleman is uh, Charles Finkel and his lovely wife, Roseanne. I'm called the Section 100 bottles of beer on the wall. Um, Roseanne and Charles, welcome to Happy Hour. Thanks, Christopher. We're pleased to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. So um, getting a chance to uh, uh, check out your cool website, you have two websites. That's pikebrewing.com and finkeldesign.com, F-I-N-K-E-L, design.com. That Finkel Design website really surprised me. There's so so much information in there. I mean, the story about prohibition and how much you marketed uh, Washington wines from the early days in the late 60s and 70s? Exactly. Well, the Finkel Design website is uh, now more of a hobby than it is uh, a uh, regular website. Pike Brewing is the is the main business that we, we pursue. But uh, we sold Pike Brewing in 1997 and took an eight-year sabbatical. And it was during that time that I established Pike Brewing because I was uh, doing design for a variety of different wineries and, and breweries and food producers uh, in that eight-year period. And then when we bought Pike back in 2006, Finkel Design sort of took a back seat. Well, it's a cool, a very cool um, website where you can see lots of labels. And, and you are really a master graphic artist. Thank you. Uh, tell me, where did you, obviously the story about Prohibition and taking a slug of eight-year-old Scotch whiskey, that was White Stag or... White horse. White horse. White horse. I love that story. In fact, my first, well, my first swig of whiskey was at 12 years old, and my dad's it was Laphroaig. Uh -huh. That turned me off to scotch for the long, long time. <laughs> I love Laphroaig. <laughs> I do now, too. Well, I'm not quite as old as, as what you just said would suggest, uh, Chris. I, though, was raised in Oklahoma, and uh, we didn't repeal Prohibition until 1959, during which time I was in high school. You might know that Will Rogers said that in Oklahoma, people stumble to the polls to vote dry. So uh, that would suggest that a lot of people did drink uh, despite Prohibition, right. as it was during 
the the national prohibition from well, 1920 to 33. I love that little history here on Happy Hour Radio, speaking with Charles Finkel and his lovely wife Roseanne Finkel of Pike Brewing. Um, that's such a progressive state, Oklahoma. <laughs> I don't know if I'd go as far as to say that. Okay, well, kid. So um, you wrote, you are an author. Tell us about some books you've written. I see one here that's really, really interesting. Well, I wrote a book called uh, Alevertizing, and it has to do with the marketing of, of beer. Uh, people quite often ask me what, how I changed from, from beer to wine, and I like to tell them, or which one do they prefer, beer or wine, I like to tell them it's not like being a Democrat or Republican. Uh, you could be both. I love wine. I love Paul's uh, Nebbiola, for example. I love great port, like we're going to taste in a little while. And uh, but uh, and having been in the wine business, I've always loved beer. So that's the reason that I founded the Pike Brewing Company is based on my love of beer. It's true. Behind every great vintage, there's a great brewery. <laughs> We like to imbibe in beer. And Roseanne is pouring some lovely uh, Pike Brewing. Which uh, flavor is this? This is Pike Space Needle Golden IPA. This is a beer that <clears throat> we brewed for the 50th anniversary of the Space Needle. Uh, we won a contest to brew the commemorative beer. And this was the one that they chose. Uh, after the anniversary, which was from April of last year through October, they came to us and basically said, we really like this beer. Will you continue brewing it? And they fulfilled our dream because we were going to go to them and ask them if they would mind if we kept brewing this beer. Oh, serendipity. So, and it's a beautiful color. Thank it is you. golden, certainly. Tell us about the beer. This is a... Well, it's a golden IPA because it was the Space Needle's golden anniversary. And this is unique among IPAs, which coincidentally, is the largest uh, selling style of beer currently. And when Pike first started brewing an IPA, which was 1990, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year, uh, we were among a very, very few breweries in, in America, even in the world. IPA is originally an English style, but by that time, no English brewery brewed an IPA. So it was resurrected here in the United States. Uh, and it's a, a beer that's characterized by having a lot of hops and having all of the the flavor constituents of hops, which are floral. F hops are a flower, uh, and they're citrusy, and they're uh, uh, they have a lot of uh, beautiful uh, and complex uh, flavors and and characters. And uh, so this is a, a very hoppy beer, but there are two broad categories of hops. Those that have a high alpha acids that act... Bittering hops. Bittering hops that act to mitigate the sweetness of the wort that we brew. And those that are uh, aromatic hops. Normally we add those at the end of, of the brew. But in the case of the Pike Space Needle, we add mostly uh, aromatic hops. So it gives a, a very fruity round, delicious IPA that is not very bitter. It smells gorgeous, and uh, Washington State is home of, is the hop center of the universe, pretty much, right? We're the, we're the largest hop producer in America, and the second largest hop producer after Hallertau and Bavaria in the world. Uh, Hallertau, yes. Uh, we are here on Happy Hour Radio, speaking with Charles and Roseanne Finkel of uh, Pike Brewery, and, and go figure that IPA has something very in common with port. How is serendipity even still? Because it's all about ensuring that the product has longevity. It's a, a um, 
Well, hey, tell you what, when we come back from this break, we'll learn more about uh, this beautiful Space Needle Golden IPA. And uh, stay tuned for chatting up with Roy Hirsch uh, for The Love of Port on Happy Hour Radio here on 570 KVI. Looking for fresh marketing ideas? Find them with Christopher Chan and Happy Hour Radio. Just click happyhourradio.net and connect with him today. That's happyhourradio.net. And stay tuned for Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan, right here on 570 KVI. The glass is always half full. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio with the Commodore of Cocktails, Christopher Chan. Hey, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. I am your Commodore of Cocktails, and uh, let's see. I am the beast of brewing right now with uh, Charles Finkel and Roseanne Finkel of Pike Brewery. Pikebrewing.com. Brewery? Brewing. Pike Brewing Company. Pikebrewingcompany.com. Hey, I'd like to really thank one more time uh, my first sponsor, Walla Walla Valley Wine Alliance. And uh, I want everyone to put it on, circle the calendar, March 20th. We are celebrating 30 years in Walla Walla Wine. 1984 was when that AVA was founded. That would be 30 years ago, right? <laughs> Good. My math is still working, even after I've had a sip of Zweigelt and this beautiful Seattle Space Needle Golden Ale. So, uh, Charles, tell us about, you were just describing aroma hops. So go into detail what we're having, what types of hops are in this beautiful golden well, IPA. In the case of uh, Pike Space Needle IPA, we use this, what we call the C hops. The, they just happen to all start with the with the uh, letter C. So they include Columbus, Cascade, Centennial, Citra, Chinook, Chinook, and uh, probably a couple of other ones that uh, that I can't remember. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, it, it's interesting that as beer has become so popular, craft beer, and we are by the way the uh, largest consumers of craft beer per capita of any place in the country. About 40% of what consumers drink in uh, Washington State is craft beer as opposed to uh, mass-marketed beer or even crafty beer, those beers that are made by mass-marketed brewers that that, uh, uh, try to make you think that they're craft beers. Uh, We we, uh, consume about 40% of those. I concur. I mean, we have great taste up here in the great Northwest, and we love our coffee, we love our beers, we love our... Our wines, and um, I'm sure we love our ports for the love of port coming up with Roy Hirsch here on Happy Hour Radio. So I see, um, how many beers did you make, do you brew? Yes, you brew beer. How many beers do you brew? And tell us how the brewery was founded. Well, we uh, founded Pike Brewing Company in 1989, and we started with two beers. One was, uh, was our Pike Pale Ale. And uh, it's very well-distributed beer. In fact, you can get it uh, downstairs here at uh, John Howie's Sport Restaurant. Uh, And uh, another one you can also get there is our Pike 5X Extra Stout, which we brought today. So I think those are the two of the longest uh, produced uh, beers available in in Washington State. We currently brew about, uh, at any given time, about 10 different beers. But at our pub, uh, the Pike Pub, <clears throat> we offer our own beers and also 
uh, guest beers from other local breweries, as well as uh, we're the only brew pub that offers uh, a wine list that has each year received the Washington Wine uh, recognition of Outstanding Wine List. And included on our wine list is Paul Beveridge's uh, Nebbiola. We're very happy to report. You are a patron saint of all the good things that come out of Washington. I love it. I'm speaking with Charles and Roseanne Finkel of Pike Brewing Company down the Pike Place Market. Um, I touched a little bit about your authorship, and you wrote a book here that I'm very curious about, A Connoisseur's Guide to the World's Best Beer. Well, actually, I was the art director of that book rather than the author. Oh. And uh, I was also the uh, the art director of the Oxford Companion to Beer, published by Oxford University Press. So uh, that's a that's one of the greatest books. Both of those are great books. But uh, the Oxford Companion to Beer, which is currently available, is the encyclopedic work ever done, the, the greatest encyclopedia ever done on the history and, and uh, tradition of beer. Oh, that's really exciting because as I pursue my master's sommelier degree, I need to pick that up. I need to do lots of reading, and um, here on we do read on Happy Hour Radio. We're not always imbibing, um, and when we do imbibe, we are always responsible. So I'm looking for my people, my fans, my peeps out there. Um, you know, in moderation, enjoy everything <laughs> in moderation. Um, speaking with Charles and Roseanne Finkel of Pike Brewing Company. So you had a hand in supporting the Washington wine industry early on. Is that correct? That's correct. I was the first marketer of Washington State wine nationally uh, in that I had a a wine importing company and we became the agents for a number of small California wineries, uh, small at the time like Fetzer and Kenwood and Dry Creek and Ficklin and Sutter Home. Uh, And in doing so, uh, I discovered wine from Washington State, which at the time was just called American wine not Washington State wine, and Saint-Michel, not Chateau Saint-Michel. And then in 1974, we sold that uh, that wine importing company to uh, the owners of, uh, of Saint-Michel and moved here to build Chateau Saint-Michel. Amazing. You have done so much for uh, the industry, and I'm. this is great. What I love about Happy Hour Radio is a chance to to invite fantastic guests such as yourself and um, coming up Roy Hirsch for the love of port and learn some insight and learn some history. Um, thank you, by the way, for getting Saint Michel launched nationally. Uh, they are now the godfather of Washington wine because they produce so many great uh, wines and have so many vineyard contracts and also have great distribution around the globe that they represent Washington truly in, in the most fantastic way. But what's very interesting, Chris, uh, or should I call you Commodore, <laughs> uh, is that when we started representing Saint Michel, there were very few grape varieties even grown here. Vinifera grape varieties grown in Washington State, and over a period of what thirty-five, forty years, uh, we have a proliferation of different grape varieties, uh, and and which is wonderful. And uh, the same thing is happening with beer. We're after twenty-five years. We're just starting to uh, be able to identify individual farms where the barley is grown and where the hops are grown. And uh, we now have a new malting company, Skagit Valley Malting in Mount Vernon, that will be able to uh, supply us with, with custom 
malted barley from an individual farm. That's a very exciting development for Pike and other brewers in the state. Oh, my goodness. Washington leads the pack in wine, barley, hops, and uh, some of those grapes include what? So the early grapes back uh, in the 60s was Cab, Grenache, and Simeon, right? Those were That's exactly much the right. Ones. Yeah, I remember those. You know your grapes. I do know my grapes. In <laughs> fact, um, it's really cool for Washington State to begin. We can practice and play and experiment with all sorts of things. In fact, we've got Triga Nacional, Tinta Roriz, uh, Tinta Cow, uh, Tinta Barroca. Roy Hirsch, help me on these. And Tinta Roriz. Roy Hirsch from Port. Uh, for the love of port, it's going to cue us in on, on all those great varieties. But um, uh, Roseanne and Charles, I've had a great time chatting and catching up with you. That's our pleasure. It's, yeah. So um, pikebrewingcompany.com. Is that right? Pike no, Brewing? Actually, just pikebrewing.com. Pikebrewing.com. Um, head on down to Pike Place Market and visit Charles and Roseanne at Pike Brewery and taste some of their fantastic Beers and ales and uh, stouts. I see that you've got the 5X stout. What does the 5X stand for? Oh, originally, the X's signified the uh, the uh, strength of the, the beer, and they were put on the, the cask of the beer by the, by the nuns that brewed the beer. And uh, over a period of time, the, uh, the cask that they put, the, they actually put crosses on to indicate one cross was the daily beer and two crosses was one you had for Sunday dinner and three crosses is when the bishop came to dinner. But over a period of time, the barrels rolled on their sides and the crosses became X's. So that's the reason that in general, if you see uh, even a cartoon that has a few X's on a bottle, it signifies strong drink. Oh my goodness, you are definitely coming back because I'm learning so much. This is so fun. And who would ever guess that nuns and an X rating we're hand in hand. <laughs> <laughs> Charles and Roseanne Finkel, thanks so much for being here in Happy Hour. Um, a toast to you and the Space Needle Golden IPA. Cheers. Thank, Thank you, you very Cheers. much. Cheers. And Mr. Roy Hirsch, um, you've been listening to, to this uh, great dialogue about fantastic, great varieties in Washington State. And um, Roy Hirsch, you started for the love of port. Is that correct? It is. Tell us about that. Um, about 30 years ago, I started drinking port wine when working in the fine dining realm in New York City, working in restaurants for a lot of years. You've got a little bit of New York City on that uh, voice of yours. Yeah, it never seems to go away. <laughs> um, you grew up in where in New York? Bayside, Queens. Bayside, Queens. Ah, perfect. And when did you come to Little New York, which would be Seattle? I moved here in 1996. I was offered a position as director of purchasing for the Kachina Kachina restaurant chain. And it offered me the opportunity not only to do that, but also the beverage side of the business for the Schwartz Brothers. Very cool. I was actually director of purchasing at the Rainier Club for a couple of years, and that's a very interesting gig because you, you got your hands on everything. You work with the chef, the bartenders, the directors, and it's really neat to touch all this stuff. Really great education, isn't it? Yes. And so what? how did you fall in love with port? So working back at a place called the Water Club in New York City back in the very early 1980s, uh, the sommelier had a a remarkable collection, and one of the United States' first Cruvenet uh, systems. And he put port wine on the Cruvenet so that they could serve it by the glass. And a Cruvenet system, for those of all our friends in Happy Hour Radio Land, is a, an airtight dispensing system to pour uh, 
wines or beverages so that there's no oxidation, which would help deteriorate a product, correct? Correct. They use uh, inert gas, nitrogen generally, sometimes argon, but in those days it was always nitrogen, and it did dispense wines by the glass and allowed older wines to be able to uh, stay in good shape for weeks at times. Right. Older wines are very delicate, obviously, and oxygen um, can uh, hasten their deterioration. Um, speaking with Roy Hirsch of ForTheLoveOfPort.com on Happy Hour Radio. Uh, Roy, tell us a little bit about the history of port. Um, I know that speaking with Charles Finkel, um, IPA uh, was a beer that had a large amount of hops because hops uh, was have preservative qualities and helped keep that beer through the long sailing voyages that the English would do. And for port, what's the history here? Similar in that way. Uh, Port should be known as a wine that comes from the Douro Valley in Portugal. There are other places that make port-style wine, but the real deal comes from Portugal. The real deal. I love it. The real deal. And so the Douro Valley is this beautiful, extraordinary, remote area in Portugal. Begins at the Atlantic Ocean through Porto and crosses the entire northern section of the entire country. And the river flows through it, the Douro River, and continues into Spain called the Duero. Yes, One big river with two different names. Correct. (laughs) Very similar. And it's a remarkable area, very beautiful, one of the most pristine regions in the entire Europe, and uh, probably as beautiful as anything I've ever seen outside of maybe uh, South Africa's winelands in the Cape. Well, I can't wait to go. Uh, Spain and Portugal are on my, uh, well, I shouldn't say bucket list, I should say barrel list. (laughs) Um, so tell us, port wine, obviously uh, the English were shipping wines across the world back to England and from France and from and this, as were the Dutch. Um, but there's something significant about port that helped it stay fresh, the long voyage. And we're going to come back with Roy Hirsch for the love of port.com here on Happy Hour Radio. He's going to tell us about uh, talk about some styles of port. I'm going to talk about his uh, designation by the Institute of of the Wines of Port. And we're going to talk about storing, serving, tasting, and pairing port wine here on Happy Hour Radio. Looking for fresh marketing ideas? Find them with Christopher Chan and Happy Hour Radio. Just click happyhourradio.net and connect with him today. That's happyhourradio.net. And stay tuned for Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan, right here on 570 KVI. The Girl Scouts are ready. The boxes are packed. Now, the Girl Scouts of Western Washington just need you to pick up your favorite cookie. Keep a lookout for Girl Scouts and Operation Cookie Drop in your neighborhood. At just four bucks a box, there's no sweeter way to support local Girl Scouts. Plus, send our servicemen and women a little taste of home when you donate to Operation Cookie Drop. Just say, donate this box to our military. Operation Cookie Drop from Girl Scouts of Western Washington. GirlScoutsWW.org. Grab a stool. You're listening to Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio, with master mixologist Christopher Chan. 
And welcome back to Happy Hour Radio here on 570 KVI. Hey, looking up, looking towards next week, and you can find us here uh, every Saturday, 11 to noon on 570 KVI. Check us out on the internet. It's uh, happyhourradio.net. And if you have any questions on wine pairings, different wines, cocktails, or spirits, or gosh, what you want to serve at your party, send us an email. Ask at happyhourradio.net. Next week, we've got Desert Wind Winery and Duck Pond Winery joining us for the Winery of the Week. And we also have Master of Wine, Joel Butler of Wino, the Wine Education uh, School here in Seattle. And we're going to touch on Oregon wine with two cool cats, Cole Danahauer and Dewey Weddington from the Oregon Wine Board. Um, But we are here speaking, chatting with Roy Hirsch for the love of port and chatting about the history of port, some styles. Um, tell us again, what makes port so significant in the world of wine, Roy? Port has been around as long as almost any other wine on earth. It began in the first port house was founded in the 1588 range. And you have others that came on board in the mid to the early to mid uh, 1600s and through the late 1700s. Uh, France was in a war with the United Kingdom at that point, and England decided that they were going to give Portugal the most favored nation status so that they could reduce the duty on the port wine and the Portuguese dry wines as well. And... By doing so, they would have a lot of competition for France. France had always supplied Claret or Bordeaux back in the day, and they decided now that they were in a war with France that the English would would bestow this honor on Portugal and start to bring in these beautiful wines that were sweet. Uh, They were fortified directly right before they were shipped over and helped stabilize them during the uh, transit by ship to the UK. And that's the secret, uh, the fortification of a uh, dry wine, or actually a little bit of a sweet wine, um, helped keep those wines fresh for the voyage. And when they got back to England, they were tasty. And that's the same for Madeira and for Sherry. Those are all fortified wines. So we have lots to thank. We have England to thank for um, lots of good things in the wine world. So tell us about styles of port. I know there's uh, ruby, tawny, and vintage. And tell us more about that. Okay, I wanted to step back for a second on the fortification. Oh. Because what was fortified for those shipments to England is very different than what we think of fortification for Madeira and for port. Uh, those processes nowadays, when they're producing the port, they're fortified to prov- to stop the fermentation prematurely. So very different than just adding it in right before the shipment. It's part of the actual production method nowadays. They add in Agridente, which is a grape-neutral spirit, at 77% alcohol, and it winds up prematurely stopping the fermentation, keeping residual sugar at a high level, and at the same time increasing the alcohol level to about 20%. So that's what makes it sweet. Yeah, so it's grape juice that starts fermentation. They add the brandy in to stop fermentation, and then it's uh, it's got power and sweetness all wrapped into one. 
Correct. And so the styles of port uh, continue. We have the ruby, tawny, and vintage. What's distinctive about those? So you have, actually, there's about 15 different categories of port. It gets very confusing. Uh, there's basically two different styles. There's bottle-aged and wood-aged. Some would break it out into ruby and tawny ports. Uh, ruby basically is a style where they try to retain the freshness of the fruit. Uh, they blend different vintages in there and keep them in wood, and they get this mellow, beautiful, bright fruit. And at the same time, um, they have this nuttiness to them, which is just beautiful, but not to the same extent as tawny port, which stays in wood a lot longer. And so we've got really two styles, uh, port that's been fermented and rested in oak and then put in bottle to keep it fresh and colorful, and then some port that's been aged in oak barrels that provide oxidation and this uh, development characteristics. Yes, the oxidation it, is very important for uh, changing the coloration. It smooths it out. Uh, tremendously, and at the same time adds the complexity and nutty flavors and sometimes citrus as well. Yeah, and port is a, a wonderful beverage following um, a great meal with, uh, what would you pair port with, typically? I have friends who drink port with everything, uh, <laughs> from lamb, cheese, uh, steaks, pizza, it really depends what you like. I do have a friend who's a sushi nut, and he drinks white ports with sushi. Oh, interesting. Well, I see you've brought two ports for us today. One is a tawny and one is a... One is a vintage port from 1994, which is Dow's. Dow's. A very popular name. Mm -hmm. And we also... I wanted to sh compare two wines of the same age. Oh, cool. So we also have a 20-year tawny port uh, to compare it to, so you could see what the same age is in both styles. Right. So we the vintage port is from Dow's. And I see that, you know, what's interesting about port is that all these houses, port houses, have English names for the most part, correct? Well, a lot of them. That used to be the case. Yeah. Uh, more and more, you know, since 1986, when Portugal joined the EU, the, the landscape has changed. So what used to be an entire port region now also makes tremendous quantities of Dura wines. Yes, and I love those uh, Portuguese dry wines. Um, speaking here uh, with Roy Hirsch of ForTheLoveOfPort.com, um, chatting about Tawny Port and Vintage Port. We have a 1994 Dows that we're going to dive into here on Happy Hour Radio. If you've got a question, check us out, ask at happyhourradio.net. So we should try the Tawny first or the Vintage Port first? I think it would be better to do the Tawny first. Yes, Okay, and we're just missing some sushi, and we'd have the perfect pairing, right? <laughs> it also goes great with, like, uh, Marcona uh, almonds. It goes well with olives, all kinds of different cheeses. I would recommend what's called Serra de Estrella, which is a Portuguese cheese, and also cheddar goes great with I it I love as cheese, well. and I think port's a great pairing for it because it has body. You can pair a whole different... A whole array of cheeses, salty stuff, um, creamy stuff. And um, I just tasted this uh, Porto... Cuevedo. Cuevedo, 20-year-old tawny port. And the color is really a, um, a brown crimson with touches of orange and rust. How would you color, quantify that color? 
I think you're spot on. <laughs> Good analysis there, Chris. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, it's interesting. There's lots of acidity in this. Yes. More so, I mean, it's sweet, but really it's balanced with the acid. And that's why a lot of people will drink them with main courses. You know, I've seen, especially with on the other side of the scale, not necessarily the tawny, but the ruby side, where they'll have it with barbecued ribs, and there's lots of meat. I've seen uh, pepper steaks, uh, pepper-encrusted steak that people love to drink port with. Wow. So when you're out at uh, Daniel's Broiler, order that bottle of port. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and imbibe it slowly. So tawny port is known for uh, more dried characters of fruit, right? Fruit characteristics that are dried and, yes. and nuts. And give us a breakdown of what a, this tawny port tastes like. Okay. Roy Hirsch here with for the love of port dot com is tasting a twenty year tawny Quiveta, twenty year old port. Now this is a blend, correct? It is a blend. Yeah, yeah. They it tries to emulate the flavor profile of a twenty year vintage port, for argument's sake. Although much more obviously aged in wood, so it does take on different characteristics. They're creating a house style. And what do you get? What are the flavors you get from this 20-year Tawny? From this one in particular, I'm getting almond, almond paste. Um, there is certainly like a, a praline hazelnut thing going on. There's a great acidity, as you mentioned. Uh, there's not only the nuttiness, but there's also a citrus backdrop um, some dried dates in there, um, a little bit of grapefruit peel. So I agree. Th- it gets very complex. This has a wealth of flavors and uh, just makes your mouth water with, um, gosh, nuts, citrus, dried fruits, toffee. Mm, it's delicious. Yeah, you get the caramel on the backdrop. That's a long there. Has a long finish too. And uh the other port you brought is a Dow's 1994 and thank you so much for bringing that. That looks beautiful. Sure. That's in the half bottle. So if we were to serve some of these before we dive into the Dow's, how what's the best recommendation for service? For serving ports, um you need to decant the vintage port. They have a lot of sediment in them. This had even in a half bottle had extraordinary amounts of sediment probably ounce, ounce and a half of the bottle goes to sediment. Um, and the more they age, actually, the less sediment you will find. The more they age, the less sediment. Yes. you will. F- when they're young, and when I say that, between 10 and 30 years, so I, I may look at young differently than most people, but 10 to 30 years is when you're getting the most sediment. After that, it, it becomes much finer sediment and you have ah. less of it. Here and temperature for serving port, was there a difference for Tawny and Ruby? Or the um, same? I like to serve the vintage ports closer to room temperature, but usually in, in the 65 degree range, whereas a Tawny port, especially if I'm going to drink it in the summer, I like it at cellar temperature. Okay. 55 degrees. All right. Good good advice. And tell us what flavors and, and fruits you're finding in this Dow's 1994. It's really a, a very dark uh, black, red, opaque color. I can't even see through it. It's amazing how long that they retain their color. And this, this wine will certainly drink well at 50 years of age as well. Um, so, But you can drink them, especially the newer ports, 
the newer vintages, they've started to make them in a, a more approachable style through tannin management, as well as having um, the aguardenti that they use nowadays for the fortification process is much cleaner and a higher quality. So those factors enter into port being much more approachable when they're young. You used to have to wait 20, 30 years to approach them and to really enjoy them, and now that's no longer the case. Um, and that really began, I think, 1994 was the modern-day port. It really was the game-changer. It was the first vintage in which the United States surpassed England in terms of consumption of vintage port for the first time in history, and it coincided back in the mid-'90s with the cigar craze, which really made port put it on the map in the United States prior to that um, port was not all that popular in the United States to the mid 90s. I first went there in 1994 over to Portugal. <laughs> I've been back over 20 some odd times. Wow. I bring groups over to Portugal two, three times a year. So I spent a lot of time over there. Um, okay. This, but to answer your question, this port has some black cherry and uh, plum flavors to it. Uh, there's still some good tannins there, also nice acidity, uh, but extraordinarily long finish. This is a delicious port. It's very well balanced. Yeah, I like on the, the fact, dry side as well. Yeah, it's got a little less acidity and just a touch more tannin, obviously, because it's vintage, aged two years in oak, and then put in the bottle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a great contrast to the 20-year Tony. They're both 20 years old, but definitely different styles and for different parts of the evening, I suppose. Yeah. Speaking with Roy Hirsch from ForTheLoveOfPort.com, if you want to get interested in some fortified wines from Portugal or even travel to Portugal, check out ForTheLoveOfPort.com. Roy Hirsch is here. Um, Roy, thanks for bringing two fantastic ports and sharing the story of Portugal's fortified wine. My pleasure. Thank you, Chris. It's for happyhourradio.net. I hope you had a great time today on Happy Hour. Um, It's been my pleasure to have Paul Beveridge, Charles, and Roseanne Finkel of Pike Brewing Company. Of course, Roy Hirsch. I hope you'll join me next week for Desert Wind Winery and Duck Pond Winery. Uh, Master of Wine, Joel Butler, will join us. And we'll chat about Oregon wine with Cole Danahauer and Dewey Weddington here on Happy Hour Radio on 570 KVI, 11 a.m. on Saturday. Shout out to Walla Walla. Join me on March 20th for the Walla Walla 30th anniversary. Check it out on happyhourradio.net. Cheers.